Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. This morning, we're just so honored to have so many of you with us. Um, visiting family members and friends, thank you for joining us today. It, it is such an honor to be able to host you in this house. For those who are in the community, and maybe you're just new to church world in general, like Jonathan said, we want to welcome you today, and we're so glad to celebrate with you. Um, one of the things that I love about Easter is that it propels us to dig deeper about what it is we believe, what it is we actually live for, who it is that we live for, why we're doing what we're doing, why we are where we are. Um, it just doesn't make a ton of sense if you don't add Jesus to it. Otherwise, we could just celebrate spring and just you know, whatever. But there's something significant. One of my kids said that uh, she had somebody come to her door on Friday and the lady was like, I'm so annoyed because um, everywhere I go today is closed. And she's like, I don't know. I don't even know what the point of today is. And uh, our daughter was like, well, it's pretty significant for Christians. <laughs> it's Good Friday's a pretty big deal. And Easter Sunday makes it all make sense. And so today we're going to dig into that a little bit together. But again, thank you for celebrating with us. And um, this is something for everyone every single one of us. This is not a put it in, you know, Sunday, um, you know, Christmas morning and Easter morning. We'll just do it two times a year and show up and pay our dues. But it is literally a life-altering celebration. Today is our our acknowledging of what it is that Jesus has done that changes our life. And today we are talking about, uh, my title is not very churchy, but uh, we're just talking about superpower. Um... Yeah, which is, you know, if you've been to any movie in the last 10 years, superpower is everything. And grown adults actually have conversations like, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? And like, grown people with children of their own will debate the benefits of flight over invisibility. And, you know, well, this one's better because, and some of y'all, you've been in those conversations, I know you have. Um, I'm going to tell you today about a superpower that is better than all the rest, by far. And it is this idea of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 says, we as believers in Jesus Christ, when we come to know him, Jesus actually comes, we just sang it, our living hope, Jesus living on the inside. It is Christ in me, the hope of glory. So if I have to have a superpower, I don't want to limit it to, you know, spitting webs out of my wrists or, you know, shrinking, things like that. I want to be able to know that there's something that is actually of, of a life that matters to everybody around me. And if I'm living the power of the resurrection... Everybody who knows me should be impacted. It actually begins to change things. And uh, there was a, a quote in, uh, again, I'm, I'm a big fan of the daily devotions on the Bible app. So if you hear me repeat them a lot. If you're not on the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app is free download. Um, and for anybody who's new to church things and you just want to know, it's a free, uh, free download. And on there, there's a daily verse of the day and a little devotion that you just click on. And it's super easy just to get you started in your relationship with God and in conversing with him every day. But one of the quotes from this morning was a king is only as powerful as the enemy he has beaten and on this day king jesus fought the grave and it was death that was beaten isn't that good a king is only as good or as powerful as the enemy he has beaten so if it wasn't something big that jesus did we wouldn't still be celebrating it 2000 plus years later we wouldn't be in this place of honoring him with this great hope that's before us we wouldn't see celebrations of resurrection sunday happening around the world but who he has beaten what he has beaten and the victory still stands and so we want to engage that a little bit today um, this concept of like, why does it matter that Jesus rose from the dead? Because it changes everything. Literally everything. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 to 17. It says, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. In other words, if Jesus didn't really die, uh, die and rise again, if there wasn't an empty tomb, if he didn't actually rise, none of this matters. This is a social club, and you could be in any social group in the city and just be in community. 
But this is something different. We gather today not because we're, we're about some sort of a religious organization and this isn't paying some sort of a dues to a, a system of spiritual government. This is believers who know the living God gathering together to encourage one another in our faith to grow in the relationship. This is a place where we celebrate life. And so it goes on and it says, if, if, it was, um, if he did not rise, our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are also fa found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised, um, raised up Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Bummer. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. The people that we say, you know, they're in a better place. If Jesus did not rise, then no, they're not. Nobody is. They're just dust. That's a sad thought. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life we only have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Isn't that an interesting thought? It's the separation point between Jesus and every other prophet, man of faith, man of spiritual significance. The dividing factor with Jesus was that he actually conquered. He actually won. Every, I mean, there have been other people that actually... Um, throughout history have been raised from the dead. People that died and came back to life again, people that have had like out of body experiences came back to life again, but they still all ultimately died. Yeah. Jesus rose once and he still lives. He is still there. He is on the throne. First Corinthians 15, five to eight says, he was seen by Cephas or Peter, then by the 12, after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remains to the present. But some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then at last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. The proof, the history that Jesus actually rose from the dead, and some people really struggle with this. I know some people are challenged by the Christian faith because it's like, well, it's nice for you um, that you believe that, but, but you know, how, how do you prove that? How do you prove that Jesus actually lived and died and rose again? Documented history, not just biblical history, but other uh, secular um, sources as well have documented in multiple places more than any other document on earth, or more than any other activity on earth has been documented and passed down through all of history to prove that he rose, that people saw him, that there was an actual uh, physical presence of Jesus that people encountered. And this, this concept needs to be done into. If you are today, you're even wondering, you're like, I'm here because my mom uh, wants me to be here and I am here to honor her and get the ham dinner after church this morning. Um, that's okay. And we're super glad you're here. We're super glad you're watching online, but I would challenge you to dig into this. There is this key thing that happens. If, if what I just read, these scripture verses that I just read, if they are true, then it really means that we have to pay attention. Um, I like how Tim Keller, Timothy Keller says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all of what he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of it? And that's the place that we land. We're either going to be all in or all out. But every one of us has to make this decision. I find that we, uh, you know, we can maybe coast for years at a time, weeks at a time, decades at a time. But when you have a near-death experience or a medical diagnosis or a car accident or something that challenges your, your sense of I'm going to live forever, you know, you remember that feeling when you're like 19, 29, maybe even 35, and you think I'm going to live forever. And then some of us who have hit 40-ish and up, suddenly go, we might not live forever, and therefore I need to make sure that I'm thinking the right thing, that I believe the right thing, that I'm on the right track. There's suddenly this, this you know, you, you do stuff like you're not going to cross that bridge, you're maybe not necessarily going to jump out of that plane, you're, you know, you're not going to do that zip lining, unless you know that if it all falls apart and you, you, you know, you collapse out of that thing, 
you know where you're going. There's a, there's a wisdom that comes with age, and as you realize that time on this earth is finite, you want to know what's on the other side. And so this breakdown is this. If Jesus actually rose from the dead, then we better believe all of what he said. And if we believe all of what he said, this weekend matters a lot. If he didn't rise from the dead, then so be it. Do what you want to do. Face what you want to face. Risk it all. But for me, for my husband, for our household, we believe fully and completely that the Bible is true, that Jesus came, that he died, that he rose again, that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, that he lives to make intercession for us, and that we have within us a living hope, and it changes everything. Just a little tip on that one. If you are doing some research and you want to know, there's um, a movie that came out a couple years ago that actually was, it's based off a book by Lee Strobel, and um, it's super good. It's not like weirdly churchy. I know sometimes some faith movies are a little lower budget. Um, <laughs> this one's really good, really good. You can find it. It's called uh, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. And you can watch it on PureFlix. You can watch it. I think you can get it off Amazon Prime. Um, but you can also just watch the whole thing is on YouTube. So everybody's got access to YouTube. It's less than two hours long. But it's literally the true story of this guy who was so annoyed that his wife came and met Jesus that he was an investigative reporter. And he set out to prove that, like, is Jesus real? Did the cross really happen? And most importantly, did the resurrection really happen? And so he covers a lot of scientific stuff, the research that he went through, and what it is he found out um, about the actual proof texts for the resurrection of Christ. And so if you're in that journey, it's worth at least poking that a little bit and finding out what it is that God says. But for those who believe, those who are willing to believe, those who have decided to say, yes, I believe Jesus died, I believe he rose again. I believe that there is resurrection power. I believe that there's a heaven and a hell and I have made a decision on where I'm going. I've made a decision on whom I serve. Then there is this thing that happens when we know that this superpower is available, Christ living on the inside of me, there is an application of the resurrection that has to happen so we can lay hold of it and live out of it. We have to actually decide how does this affect me on the daily basis. It's a next level thing. When we, are, when we understand that uh, Jesus is real, we understand that he rose from the dead, we understand that the turn of history happened at that moment, then we have to understand, I actually have to figure out how to apply this to my life. What does it mean about what I believe? What have I believed up until now? And how should it change me from here? Philippians um, is such a good book of the Bible. Um, the Apostle Paul walks this out, and he's so, he's so blunt in it, which I appreciate. Some of his books are a little bit more rambling, but this one's pretty blunt. And he, he talks about this journey of he'd always, been, he, he'd always been a spiritual person. He was raised, he was a, a Jew, he was a Hebrew. He was raised up uh, to believe in God, to serve God, to follow the law, to be a good guy to do the right thing, to uh, live according to the law. In fact, he actually, he, he realizes, um, he says he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was zealous. He was blameless. In other words, it, he, he basically said, I had all my spiritual ducks in a row. I totally, I totally had it together. I was the guy. I was doing good stuff. And a, a lot of our society kind of lives that way where we believe, you know, there's this eternal balance and if I got more good stuff on the balance side than the bad stuff, I'm good. If, I, if I'm like, I, I, you know, I, I do pretty good. I'm not perfect, but I, I do pretty good. I'm a decent person. I try and like leave my mark on society. I try and, you know, be a good person in the community, a good citizen. I try and do the right thing. And we kind of can live that way where we're trying to, we're just trying to keep the balance tipped in our favor. The reality is, though, Paul has this epiphany when he encountered Jesus, and he's like, you know, as perfect as I think I am, I can't get it right. I'm not, I'm not doing this well right now. I'm not, I'm not landing in the right place. I'm, I'm unable to be perfect, perfect. And so in Philippians 3, verse 8 and 9, 
It says, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord. Prior to that, he's talking about all the stuff that he had done right, all the good things that he had done. And a lot of us live pretty decent lives. We're pretty good people. But there's a measure that we will never attain to. None of us, no matter how good we are, no matter how dedicated we are, no, no matter how committed we are to being a good person, is there anybody in the room today who's like, I'm, I, would, I would dare to say I'm perfect? I mean, there might be. I, I may have missed you, but I'm pretty sure none of us would stand up and go, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally perfect. The last time I did something wrong was when I was seven years old, and since then, mwah, just absolutely spotless. No, we can't. We can't do it, and we all know that. And so Paul had lived his life trying, and he was doing all the right stuff. Do you know, this is just a, a hint for those who are like, you know, I'm doing everybody a favor by being in church today, whether you come every week or whether you come once every 10 years or whatever. It's not relevant that we come to church. You can be in a church every day of your life for decades and still never have anything made right on the inside. We can do the stuff and not be changed. And this is the revelation that Paul has. We know he was, he was, um, you know, he was in his 30s. He's at this, this point of time where he'd been putting a lot of work in to get things right. And all of a sudden he encounters Jesus. So he says, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Man, everything I did up till now, trash pile. Just, it's a dumpster fire. I, I really, really was going for better, but in, in, in what I can see now, that's what I count it. He says, I count it as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law or the good stuff I do, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. This pure place, any one of us, I mean, you, you actually, when you, when you realize, if we were to just pause and say, you know, we're going to hand out a paper, want everybody to write the last 10 lousy things you've done. Just write it down. Just confess on the paper. We wouldn't have a lot of gap time in coming up with those 10 things. I think we all could come up with 10 things pretty quickly of this is where I've been. And he, Paul has this realization and he's like, you know what? I just count it as loss. I'm going to need his righteousness. His righteousness is something very, very specific. Righteousness means right standing before God or morally correct. Not by our society's standards, but by God's standards. Like literally, if I died on the way home and I'm standing before God, and I know some might even be, I'm not even sure there is God, but if, if I'm standing before God and I stand there and God's like, okay, how, how, are you, how, how are you able to stand in my presence? Like what do you have to offer? Well... Um, so in the last week, I've only, um, I've only cussed like eight times. Um, I've, on, I've only, I mean, can you imagine if it's based on my righteousness? I'm hooped. If it's based on your righteousness, you're hooped. Like if you're driving in Grand Prairie, I guarantee you your flesh rises up sometimes. <laughs> There's just nobody perfect living in this town. I promise you. So Paul's like, you know what? I'm going to need some help with the right standing thing. I'm going to need something as my defense. And the Message Bible puts it this way. I think this is really helpful. It says, the very credentials that these people are waving around as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master, firsthand everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung, which is showing up in most of our yards this week. <clears throat> I've 
dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I don't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting God. God's righteousness. Isn't that like an incredible thought? Can you imagine? And we all, hopefully we pause and we imagine when we're singing and we sing the celebration songs like we sang this morning and we should sing them with excitement and vigor and passion because it literally is life changing. It means I don't walk around with a constant ticker tape in the back of my head going, this is what you did, 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 this is what you did. I can come and I'm, I'm like, before Jesus, I can confess my sins He's faithful and just to forgive them, cleanse me from all unrighteousness or my dog dung of a life and present me with a measure of holiness and righteousness so I can stand before God and I can do tomorrow clean, fresh start. I could come to the end of my life and I might have lived 87 years and 86 of them were terrible, but I encountered Jesus and suddenly every terrible thing, it's not that it didn't hurt people, but Jesus goes, you know what? I paid for it. I knew that you wouldn't live life perfectly. I paid for it in full. These are the words that we sang this morning. And I know the language is, sometimes people are like this weird church language. It's not. If we just put it in the basic uh, understanding that we owed a debt, we can never get it right. Our best efforts are rubbish and dog dung. Jesus paid it. We say yes, we receive him, and he forgives us and gives us a clean start. The problem is if we don't actually allow that to take place in our lives. We might say, yes, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Yes, Jesus, I believe that you actually paid the price. I do believe that you died. I do believe that you rose again. I do ask you to forgive my sin. I do accept you as my savior. And now I'm going to live the rest of my life trying to make it up to you. It's a life of bondage, which is not what he paid for. But we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this today because every time we walk through the salvation story of Easter, every time we do the Christmas story as well, you know, you read the same scripture verses, but there's layer after layer after layer of revelation that God unpacks for us. There's things he wants us to know. And today we're going to talk about this. If this superpower is Christ in me, the hope of glory, how do I live that out? What does this mean? And it actually is laying hold of what today means. It's laying hold of the resurrection. Going back to Philippians 3, we finish off in verse 9, and be found by him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Going on to verse 10 then, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul not only says, I believe, and I have discarded my old life, but he's saying, now I actually have this mission. And if we read on in Philippians, what we would see is that he's, this is where he goes on and he talks about the fight of faith. He talks about, um, he goes on and he talks about being citizens of heaven. He talks about not that I've already attained or perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of. It's like he's, he's in this like, okay, now that I've got this new belief, this is going to change how I do life. I am going after something. So the first thing he says that, that I, if, if this is true and I've let go of the old thing, what I want is to know him. Like to really know him. We have phrases that go around in society, oh, so-and-so found religion, so-and-so's spiritual, so-and-so's got a, I mean, they're, you know, they're into God stuff, whatever. Or yeah, they, they're, they're church members. None of that is accurate. What we have been invited into through what the gift of Easter is, is a relationship with Jesus an actual knowing of him. How is that possible? He's invisible. Well, when you know him, you know him. 
It's, there literally is this, this thing that happens on the inside where you know that God is real and you begin to talk to him and he reveals himself to you in a million different ways. We know that creation actually has his fingerprint all over it. We know that people carry the breath of heaven, but God himself, Jesus, the living God, will make himself known to you. But Paul comes into this place and he says that I would know Jesus. And, and this is the part that I just explained to us. This is the Jesus died, he rose again, he gives us the opportunity to know him. We, we have prayers that we pray in church settings or that somebody might, might pray with you as they're introducing you to Jesus. That's just kind of like that. It's literally like that. It's introducing somebody. I'm going to help you connect with him. But essentially, the word tells us that we just believe that he is who he says he is. We receive him and we confess it. So we begin to say thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again. Thank you for paying the price for my sin. I receive you into my life. Please forgive me. It's just this beginning of the conversation. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. None of us gets it right. None of us gets to come to Christ because we totally are rock stars of decency. We're not. Nobody is even nice people, we all need a savior. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 5.20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So literally getting to know him who is true, the one who is, who was, who is to come, the one who is the first and the last. I, I really, uh, you know, I know everybody's at different places in their journey, but personally for me, um, we've had um, the privilege of having lots of grandbabies now, which is amazing, so much easier. That's the upside of seeing 40 and then is that it's so much easier. But, you know, I think when you're even the first time, you know, first time parents or whatever, it's miraculous, but you're also like, oh my gosh, we're responsible to keep a human alive and it's expensive and all of, you know, we're sleepless and whatever. But as grandparents, you get to come in and you suddenly, because you've seen life go on in so many different areas and you look at that tiny little hand and that tiny little fingernail and that tiny little wrinkle, and that tiny little bubble that they get on their lips from, from uh, drinking milk, and all these perfect little things. And you look at the eyelashes and the eyebrows. And for me, I have this, like it's impossible for me to not think that there's intelligent design. Like how, how can that not be God? It's so utterly and completely perfect. And if there's God, then there's got to be a God who makes sense because everything has order to it. And if there's a God who makes sense, then I have to believe that he is the God of the Bible. And if I believe that he's the God of the Bible, then I have to believe that he died and he rose again. And I have to believe that if that's the case, then I have the opportunity to know him because the Bible tells me. And if I have the opportunity to know him, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I want to? Why wouldn't I want to know the God of the universe? So the first thing is that Paul said, I want to know him. And then he said, I want to know the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. This is this interesting thing because the power of his resurrection is the very nature of God himself. The word tells us that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. The power of God came and invigorated Jesus in the bodily form and raised him back to life. It's this power that is outside of the powers of this realm. It's something superior, something grander. It is the touch of God on anything that he touches. The power of God present Romans 8, 11 says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, you uh, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit, which dwells in you. 
Isn't that amazing? But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What that means is this power of God, this presence of God, the fingerprint of God, the touch of God actually inhabits those who say yes to God. He lives in us. And when when we are confronted with the situations of life, the brokenness of life, the pain of life, the issues of life, the struggles of life, we have somewhere to turn because God is living within us. And he actually can empower us to carry his presence wherever we go. We actually carry the power of the living God, the touch of God, the presence of God, the the marker, the fingerprint of God goes with us wherever we go. And Paul said, I want to know this. I want to know the power of the resurrection. Now, God had power always, always did, always will have. But it became available to us through the resurrection. The resurrection power is attainable and and graspable by us through the resurrection. So Paul said, this is what I'm, this is what I'm after. I want to know that kind of power. I don't want to live in hopelessness. I don't want to live in brokenness. I don't want to live like I'm trying to get everything right. I want to know God in me. I want to feel God in me. And Paul got to experience all kinds of crazy awesome stuff, like prison breaks and supernatural healings and deliverances and all that sort of stuff. God in him, the power of the resurrection was active in him. Ephesians 3 talks about um, this, this love of God. And Paul is again talking, and he's talking about, I want, I want you to know the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of the love of God. Because that was the whole reason Jesus came in the first place. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Paul said, I want you to know the depth of that love. And then he goes on in verse 20 of Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to... The power that works in us. To him be glory in the church. The power that works in us has come through love. Through the gift of love. And that power now works in us. And it goes out where we go. Where we take him. Where we embrace the power. Power changes things. Power is manifested through that love. And it's exceedingly abundantly above what we can ask or imagine. He goes on, first he says, that I would know him, the power of his resurrection, number two, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Less exciting, probably, in our minds than the power of his resurrection, but not when we really dig into it. So the fellowship of his sufferings, if you missed Good Friday, I would, I would encourage you to go back on the app and watch it. But the fellowship of his sufferings, fellowship is a partnership, a benefaction, or a communion. So it, it, that we would, we would know, that we would have communion, that we would have the benefit of his sufferings. That we would be in relationship with the fact that Jesus actually suffered for us. If we come into agreement with that, if we come into relationship with that, if we come into understanding of that, it changes how we do life. We talked a bit on Friday uh, about the the cost that Jesus paid. He, of course, was answering a prophetic uh, assignment to die for us. That the price, the wages of sin is death. The cost of sin is death. And so Jesus had to die, but the suffering that he went through was also for our benefit. The suffering is something that we come into agreement with, that we come into relationship with, that we benefit from. Because he suffered so that we have one who's carried it away. We have somewhere to run when we're broken, when we're hurting, when we're lost, when we're accused, when we're abandoned, when we're betrayed. We have somewhere to run, someone who has already paid the price for that. And we can walk into healing. It doesn't have to become our identity. It doesn't have to be something that we wear for the rest of our life. We come into him and we know the fellowship of his sufferings. I think with the Apostle Paul, again, I'll spell it out because some might be new to the things of the Bible, but 
The Apostle Paul was so, uh, so zealous for God, so determined to live a good life and to do everything he possibly could to, to please God, that when Jesus died, he rose again, he left this earth, and Christians developed, Christ followers developed and began to grow, the early church was born. Um, Paul actually went after them and he sought, he went out of his way to get special instructions to arrest them and put them in jail. He actually stood by while they stoned Stephen to death. Stephen, who had been walking in, in the things of God, loving people, performing miracles, God had been moving in his life, and Paul actually stood there and helped as they stoned him to death. Then he comes to the awareness of Jesus. He comes to Christ, and he has to deal with his past. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that, that like, oh my goodness? I'm actually like a murderer. I've lived my whole life to impress God. And I, I have been so utterly wrong. I have been, I've been leading people in the completely wrong direction. I've been, I've been completely headed down the wrong path. Paul goes into this place of Jesus' sufferings, the fellowship of his sufferings, coming into agreement and partnership with his sufferings, and he finds release. He finds forgiveness. He finds wholeness. He finds the ability to move on and live the life that God intended for him to live. Ephesians 3, 17 to 19, then this is the, the first part of it, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So if Jesus' suffering was rooted in love and Paul said, I want to be conformed to his suffering, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings, what he was really saying is, I need to know. I need to decide to get up close to know the suffering that he went through so that I can live in the forgiveness that he offers. I need to know that kind of love. When we talk about the superpower of Christ living on the inside of us and the resurrection power that's available to us, this is a key. If we don't allow God to heal our hearts, we don't allow love to actually come in and clean some stuff out. If we want to keep our own personal standard of I was bad, we'll never experience the power. If we, if we don't come in and we don't embrace the fellowship of his sufferings, I mean, honestly, if somebody, somebody takes you out for dinner and they're like, you know, this is, this is an extravagant meal. I booked ahead. We've got a special cook. You know, it's a $400 a plate meal. And you just sit there and go, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm not worthy to be here. I can't, I can't be here. Like, I just, I mean, if the week I've had, I, I'm, I'm not the person who should be sitting at the table. If I, if I had a ticket to give out and I was you, I would give it to somebody else. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have me here. And what if you never actually tasted the meal that was paid for? What if you never actually sat down and ate what was paid for for you? This is the same thing. When Paul says, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings, I want to know the benefit of what he paid for for me. I'm going to lick the plate. I'm a, I want the whole thing. I, if, he, if he paid for it, I want it all. Like I, wanted, I want the appetizer. I want the salad. I want the soup. I want the meal. I want the dessert. I want the mint. I want the toothpick. I, I want the whole thing. If it was paid for for me, some of us are not experiencing resurrection power because we're still walking off of our own checklist. I'm telling you, Paul endeavored. He was like, okay, I was all the way this way. Darn. Okay. I'm all the way this way then. He was as zealous for God afterwards as he ever was before, but he was pointed in the right direction and he wanted it all. I pray for us today that this would be the year that we decide I want it all. 
I am going to be an absolutely passionate, sold out, living for Jesus kind of person from every morning till every night and everything in between. Every day I want to know if it's for me and if I can have it, I want it. That's the life he's calling us to. That's in, what he's invited us into. He goes on and he says, he says, not that I've already obtained or I'm already perfected, or sorry, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Oh, this just gets better as we keep going, hey? Started off with that I might know him. We, we talk about the resurrection, yay, sufferings, now death. This is actually liberating. It's completely and totally liberating. The truth is, the more we die to self, the more we experience the resurrection of Christ. The more we die to self, the more we experience the resurrection of Christ. It is literally going, okay, God, because I believe that you died for me, because you have paid the price for me, I am choosing to lay down my rights, my stuff, my goals, my dreams, my wants, my stuff. And I want to ask you, what do you want out of my life? The more, see, we can, we can walk, literally, we can give our lives to Christ. We can pray the prayer. We can say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. I receive you as my savior. But it means a lot different when we say, I receive you as my Lord and savior. My savior means I believe that you paid the price for my sin. My Lord and savior means, and therefore I live for you. And that perspective takes us from, I know where I'm going when I die to, I know who I'm walking with as I live. I literally experience him. So to be conformed to his death, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's just leave that up there for a minute. Look, look at the hope that is in these words. It sounds like pretty extreme, right? I've been crucified with Christ. Guess what? Nobody's nailing you to a cross. Nobody's whipping you. Nobody's pulling out your beard. Nobody's pressing thorns into your head. Being crucified with Christ is I am identified with what he did for me. I deserve, it's not saying that I'm gonna, I'm gonna like have to physically go, but I can decide to be in agreement with that. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me. Let me just help you out with something this morning. I, a lot of people struggle with, if I, if I say the life which I live, I live for God, I'm going to lose all the fun stuff. Every good thing that I like, everything that I enjoy, he's going to tell me to give it up. And he's going to make me, you know, head off to some, like, Antarctica to save the penguins. Or something. I don't know. He's, I, I, we're so scared that some horrible thing's going to happen. And he's going to put us in this terrible place of suffering and whatever. Do you know God knit you together in your mother's womb? Meaning he put in you your passions, your desires, your giftings, your interests. We, we all have different things that get us excited, things that make us sad, things that we're good at, things that we're not so good at. You know, we were talking about this the other day. We love that um, our family loves it in The Chosen. Did anybody see the episode where Jesus is playing ball and he can't throw? <laughs> we endeavor to be more Christ-like all the time. It, <laughs> So we're not all good at all the same stuff. We're not all interested in the same stuff. The stuff that God put in you is for the purpose, which is the life that you're meant to live for him. Meaning when you lay down your stuff that you think you want and you allow him to breathe into you the stuff that he's planned for you, it literally is radical joy. 
you're, you're going to be like in this moment where you're like, oh my goodness, I had, I had no idea that I loved doing this, but I totally love doing this. It might be the very thing that you thought you were going to give up. God's like, okay, now that it's, you're doing it for me and with me, let's ignite it and do it more. Like there's, he, he's not out to destroy you. He's igniting that which he's put in you. It's only going to get better. I have lived, um, you know, in the Christian life, my whole life literally came to Christ as a child, but I didn't really understand purpose or living life for Christ until I was about 27, 28. And prior to that, I was so desperate to be significant, to matter. I went through um, periods of deep depression. I went through my own suicidal episodes um, where Jonathan shared this morning as well where I was absolutely convinced that my family would be better off without me. I, that I could be gone for days and nobody would even notice because I, I had no significance, no purpose of any kind. I, I tried all kinds of different jobs, all kinds of different career paths, educational paths. Every time I try something, I sucked at it. Or, it, you know, I'd, I'd do it and it was fun for a while. And maybe I was even good at it, but it just felt like nothing. It was just, it just didn't take me anywhere. And when I realized that, oh my goodness, I've been created, then I've been created on purpose, which means there must be a purpose. And if I just let God actually direct my steps, maybe it will be fun. And I remember one day I'd, uh, I'd been sent on a missions trip, um, to the Philippines, Pastor Paul is always very good at that. And he, he volunteered us that we were going to, uh, to help with some of the churches there and some of their worship teams and whatever. And uh, I, as I'm standing there, one of the first trips that we were there and the worship service started in the morning and all of a sudden they started singing this song and I didn't understand the words at all. But all of a sudden I had this flashback to when I was a kid I don't know, maybe grade three or four. And there was a missionary from the Philippines that had been through our church. And she came and she brought little coins for everybody, um, for all the kids. And she had sung this song and she taught us this song. And as the worship service starts, I realize I know this song. And I had this instant flashback to when I'm like eight, nine years old. And I had so desperately, I, as a kid, I was like, someday I want to go there. Someday I want to I go to a church there and I want to meet other family there. And I, someday I want to go. And it had been lost in the, what am I supposed to do with my life? And in the surrender to God and in some of the directions along the way from that point on, suddenly God brings it back and he's like, see, this is what I have planned. I put it in you way back then so that it could bloom here. See, God is not trying to, he's not trying to stop you from living life. He's trying to give you life. He's trying to lead us into the place of fullness. So this is what it means to be conformed to him, his death. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. All things have become new. This is what we're celebrating today. To finish this verse, one last point. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And then verse 11 if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Verse, or, uh, point five, attain the resurrection. Philippians three eleven. if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, not everybody agrees about what this verse means. One of the things that you'll hear me say a lot, I, I'm just so disappointed in the English language. Um, I feel like, you know, when there's stuff that is recorded in Greek and Hebrew and then it gets translated into Latin and then it gets translated into, you know, whatever. By the time we get it, it's like, well, we're in the ballpark. But sometimes there's stuff that just doesn't make a ton of sense. And so Paul has just talked about, I've got, I've got all this stuff. I've been like, I know Jesus and I know the cross and I know the resurrection. And then, and we know that this is just a gift that we receive. But then he says, he says this, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. What does that mean? 
Like what, what we read, I think in our language, that I may attain, that I might get there, that I might somehow get the resurrection from the dead, that someday if I do these things right, if I know Christ, I know the power of his resurrection, I know the fellowship of his sufferings, I might somehow possibly be able to lay hold of the resurrection from the dead. Which is not what it means. So the reality is, if you say yes to Jesus, you're giving your life to him, you are guaranteed. God has said, grace is, is the gift. That by grace we've been saved through faith, that we step in and we just say yes to the free gift. And from there we know that we, when we die, we're going to be with Jesus. So we don't earn our way then to try and do this, but the word attain actually has a core meaning. And so speaking about this, um, in verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, resurrection that's used there is the Greek word anastasin. When he talks about it in verse 11, he says, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, it's ex-anastasin. Which is interesting. So the word attain means I've arrived at, not to make it happen. I've arrived at. And the word ex anastation means, the ex is the add-on that means to beget, to produce, or to mean, it means out of. To beget, to produce, or out of. So in other words, he's saying, if by any means I can arrive at living out of the resurrection. Living out of the resurrection, that I can actually lay hold of this and out of the resurrection, this is how I do life. My life now makes sense. I'm, I'm walking through this process of knowing him, of knowing the power of the resurrection, of knowing the suffering and coming into agreement with it, of knowing what the cross is really about so that I can actually come to the place where I can arrive at living out of the resurrection. My life is not lived trying to earn a resurrection, but I live out of the resurrection. Pause on that for a minute. That I could live out of the resurrection. If I live out of the resurrection, it means that I don't live trying to impress God. I don't live trying to impress religion. I don't live trying to impress other people. If anybody tells me I'm a hypocrite because I've done something wrong, I quickly apologize and I say, you know, I am so sorry. I'm still in process. I, I take it to God. I ask his forgiveness. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is what it means. When we lay hold of and live out of the resurrection, I'm not trying to earn my way in. I'm not trying to sort stuff out. I'm not trying to prove that I'm good enough. I'm not trying to not fail. I don't destroy myself if I have failed. I don't punish myself and say I'm not worthy of anything that God says. I don't deny his, his fellowship because I'm not worthy to come into your presence. I don't, I don't say things like, like um, you know, I, well, I'd like to pray about it, but I mean, it just, I mean, I'm so, I'm so worried that like if I, if I even came close to God, he'd zap me with lightning. If I live out of the resurrection, I know he knows that and he paid for it. And he still calls us closer. I live out of that place of truth. I live out of that place of life. I have arrived at or attained the place that I am producing resurrection life out of every decision I make in every place I go. It's a shift. It's, we actually have to apply the, the resurrection to our life or it's just a once a year celebration. So the challenge is today for us to actually look at this, if we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, like we sang, and like Timothy Keller says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all of what he said. And if he did, and we recognize that our own righteousness and our own stuff is just never going to measure up, all we can do is say yes to him. And we decide then to follow the model of Paul and say, all I want is to know him. Yes. To know him. Meaning that where do we go from here on an Easter Sunday? We say, okay, I'm endeavoring 
to build this relationship. Maybe it hasn't been that good in the past. Notice nothing that I've said today is you must sit down and read 18 chapters of your Bible every day. You must clock an hour and a half of prayer. You must make sure that you have, you know, absolutely no, nothing, nothing um, of, you know, any thoughts or anything, you know, you're perfect in every way that you think, act, behave. Everything is flawless. I'm not saying that. We endeavor to know him. Teach me. Introduce me. Let me know your heart. How do you feel about this? We find out a lot of it by reading the Gospels. We, we can read how God functions and how he thinks by the actions of Jesus and how he lived and how he loved. But we press in. This is how we respond to the resurrection. We decide then to know the power of the resurrection, to know that there's no power on earth, that there's no power of sin and death, there's no power and principality that is higher than who Jesus is. That the power of Christ on the inside of me, the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. So I'm not cowering in fear. I'm not hiding from the boogeyman. I stand there in the name of Jesus and the power of the blood and the power of the risen Lord and I say, get off Satan. I, 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 have, I have confidence in the one who paid it all. Not in me, but in him. And Christ who lives in me. I'm bold in the face of the intimidation of the enemy because of Christ who lives in me, knowing the power of the resurrection. The, the, the fellowship of his sufferings. I'm endeavoring this Easter, this good, this good Friday into Easter Sunday when I acknowledge what he has suffered and that it was conquered and done by the resurrection of Christ, then I'm going to know that fellowship of his sufferings. I'm going to know that he paid for it. I'm going to know that he's experienced it. I'm going to know that I can run to him with it. I'm not trying to wish, you know, figure out why are you letting this happen or why are you making this happen or why is this happening? I'm going to say, I am suffering. Therefore, I'm running to you because you've already paid for this for me. I don't have to carry it. He's going to carry it. He paid for it. It's done. If we get bogged down in the whys and the hows and the what, we lose the invitation. We lose the invitation. I'm going to decide on this Resurrection Sunday to be conformed to his death. I bet every single one of us has an area of our lives yet that could be surrendered. Something that's my thing. That maybe if I'll just give it to him and say, God, I'm going to choose to believe according to your word. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. What do you want to do with this life? The reality is, how many of us can actually, you know, the old phrase, uh, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Has anybody found that to be effective? You know? Oh, put on a happy face. It's not that bad. Oh, that works great. Right? Decide, just decide to be cheerful. Decide. Decide. I decide to live my life for Christ, conformed to his suffering and being conformed to his death means, okay, God, all these pressures from the outside, I'm bringing them to you. I know that you live on the inside of me and I'm choosing to live in the light. I'm choosing to live your life. I'm choosing to live in your victory. I'm choosing to live in your promise. I'm choosing to live in your hope. I know that I'm radically and unexplainably loved. I know that I'm forgiven, even though I wouldn't forgive me. You have made provision for that. I know that you believe in me, even though other people are calling me a loser and a failure. You believe in me. I know that today is a brand new day. And even though I failed and people are saying that it's, I'm going to have to earn my way back in, God, you have said, come close. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. So God, I'm living in that place. I'm living your life in me. What a beautiful, hopeful, joyous, delightful spot to be. And finally, attaining the resurrection. This resurrection Sunday, I am deciding to arrive at the place where I am living out of the resurrection. I'm not trying to get it. I'm not trying to believe it. I've decided I believe it, and I'm living out of it. Because if he is true, and this is real, then this changes everything. 
Amen. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to have the worship team come. And if we could do that last song again, Mel. But I want to just give an opportunity this morning. Some of you may, again, on any given day, we need to make our decisions for Christ. We have this opportunity to decide what it is that we believe. Um, I don't think it's meant to be, you know, made on emotion. It's, it's a life decision. When we decide that we are living for Christ, when we decide that we believe he is who he says he is, it literally is intended to change everything and it's gonna change it for the good, I promise. But if that is you today, that you need to make that decision, or maybe you have been, uh, you know, living, living the partial life. You've said yes to salvation, but all the other things, not so much. And, and it's just not really that effective in your life. You know, you, you believe that Jesus died and you have received him, but maybe, maybe it's just not clicking on all levels right now. The invitation is there for us today. This can be the day that changes everything, you know. It's not something that we have to work our way into. It's something that we say yes to and we decide. One of our young ladies in the church this week, was she was so excited and she came and said, I got my license this week. Well, how many of you know once you're a driver, you never want to be a non-driver again? Once you got that, that license, now everything's, I can go anywhere. Once you know Christ, why sit in the back seat? You know, why not lay hold of that thing that he's laid hold of for you? Why not embrace it fully and completely? So this morning, if you need to make that decision, we're gonna um, just make it fairly easy for you. And there's cards in the seat in front of you. And the one card says, I have decided. So that's you and you need to make that decision today. I'm just gonna challenge you as we sing this song in closing today, fill out that card and just, it's pretty simple. And then if you would bring it to the front and just over on this side by the cross, some of our pastors are gonna be over there. They would love to just bring them the card. They'll know then why you're up there and they would love to just pray for you and get you some tools to get you started on your walk with him. If you're coming back to Christ and that's you and, and you're like, I, you know, people already think I'm a believer, but I, I'm definitely not living out of the resurrection and you wanna fill that out, bring it up. They will know that as well and we'll pray for you and bless you. And if you have any other needs um, after this song, we're going to have the prayer teams at the front and they would love to pray with you and agree with you for a breakthrough. But let's together today sing this from this perspective, from mulling this through in the word. Let's just sing this song from a level of understanding. And I would challenge each one of us to make the decision today to literally lay hold of and live out of the resurrection. Let's stand together. Lord, we thank you today for your word. We thank you that you don't do anything halfway, that you are a God, that Jesus, when you hung on the cross, you said, it is finished, it is complete. We thank you that you conquered sin and death, that there is absolutely nothing that is higher or stronger or more powerful than you, that you are, you are God. And Lord, today I thank you that for each one of us, you make space for us to know you, to experience your resurrection, to experience the freedom that your cross paid for, to experience the, the freedom that your suffering covered for us, that we would experience the lifting, the joy, the release, God, of those sorrows we've been carrying, that we would experience the hope of laying down our ambitions and picking up what you planned for us in the first place, who you've made us to be, how to live for your glory, how to live in the light. God, I pray for each one of us today that there, this would be a day of encounter, that we would decide, we would decide like the apostle Paul decided to completely go after you, to spend his life learning more and more about you, getting to know you, coming into relationship with you, experiencing the fullness, living out of the resurrection. 
God, today I pray for an encounter with your spirit. And Lord, for each one who is, who is making a decision today that needs to come and meet with you, that needs to come and give their lives to you, I pray that you would empower them to do so, that you would, you would nudge hearts and you would nudge minds, that we would make the decision that is the decision of a lifetime and then some a decision that's full of joy and peace and hope and life. We thank you, Jesus, for coming. We thank you that the word reminds us that, you, that the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. God, today I thank you that the whoever is all of us if we choose to be. I thank you for encounters with you today. And I thank you for a celebration of life like no other. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at Victory Church GP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.